Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. Today we got a Q&A. We got a lot of good questions, a lot of them coming from Instagram that were flooded in that Cody did not get a chance to answer, so we flipped them over onto the podcast to get some good answers out to you guys. So yeah, I've been better about Q&As. Um, I never get through all of them, full transparency, um, because it's just impossible, which is cool. Like, there's enough coming in, and I get, to, I try to get to most of them. Even when the actual question box expires, I just go to my archive and still answer them. But I've been doing two a week, and I've been pretty good about answering people's questions. So, um, obviously, I would hope if you're listening to this podcast, you're following me on Instagram. Um, but make sure you're asking questions when I drop those, uh, because we have been uh, doing those more. I've been really good about it, uh, and it's, I mean... I see a lot of people doing them and I, and I like to think I put more information into my answers than most people do on their stories. I mean like sometimes like my answers are pretty fucking, it's like a paragraph in the whole story. Like that's why I type them because I know if I'm going to say it to the camera, although I like showing my face and doing that, I think it's like personable. I don't have enough time, Mm. you know, because the, the, you only get 15 seconds, but um, I do pretty well with those. So, so follow me, make sure that, that you're asking questions as well at Cody McBroom. I do them twice a week. I usually do them on, Monday and then like Wednesday or Thursday. So pop in there, ask your questions. I want to be able to help you out. Um, but yeah, uh, we got a lot of good ones. Before we get into the podcast real quick, uh, this podcast is sponsored by, you guessed it, Tailored Coaching Method, the world's greatest coaching company on the planet. I mean, I was going to say I'm planned, but I'm not. It probably is. Um, I'm biased. However, if you need help, if you need a custom training plan, custom nutrition plan, real science-based and connection-based coaching that is guaranteed to get you results. As long as you follow our lead and, and trust our methods, we will get you to where you want to be no matter where you're at in your fitness journey. Head over to tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash online dash coaching or click the link in the description of this podcast. That is the only sponsor of today. We're going to keep it short and sweet. Get into these questions. Let's get it. All right. Some of these names are going to be hard to pronounce because they're not names. They are Instagram handles and they can be wonky sometimes. So we're going to start off with the first one coming from Jad K. At least K. you prefaced Mead. it. I'm just time. saying. They're not people's <laughs> names. Jad K. Mead says, can a reverse diet be used as a way to lean bulk? I like this one. This is, I think this is the only one today that I actually answered on my story, and I basically just said yes. And really, bre- I basically said I do this with a lot of clients because it was so hard to – I knew I was going to bring it on the podcast, and it's so hard to just say it quickly like that. But I think it's a really good question because – a lot of people assume, I mean, I shouldn't say assume, it's, it's the right assumption. Reverse dieting is a process that is used as a way to essentially mitigate and alleviate metabolic adaptation, right? Like that's, I mean, at its truest form, like, and, and I mean, it's hard to say because I guess recovery diet would be that and a maintenance phase would be that. Reverse diet is, is, has been more geared towards like maintaining your body composition while doing those things. And I think there's so many caveats to all of this, right? And, and it's important to put those out there because reverse dieting is a really smart process for anybody who has diet, been dieting to go through. However, if you have dieted to a place where you are too lean or you're in a, a, a state of biofeedback that's really piss poor, for lack of better terms, you probably need a recovery diet or a fast reverse diet, more aggressive approach. And I just like to put that caveat out there. I do think the vast majority of people who listen to this podcast would be fine with a, a pretty slow approach excuse me, to a reverse diet because 
recovery diets were designed for bodybuilders. And I don't think there's that many people listening to this podcast who are getting to that level of leanness. And even for those of you who are, you also probably are aware. I think most people that get that lean are also aware of the fact that you can't stay that way, you know, and they know that you got to reverse pretty quickly if you get that lean, which is really ironic too, because I think that the hard part about everybody talking, and this is what I think I talk about this all the time, but this is why it pisses me off so much when people talk so much about fast reverses or you can't, you, you got to go quick. You got to be aggressive. You got to get out of that. You got to put on body fat is they say it, but there's just so many people who like the people who actually need to do that and they actually get that lean. They know they need to do that. And they're aware of this. So the people that are getting the information and don't know better are the people who don't need to do that. They're the people who get generally lean. They lost 20 pounds and they want to keep that fucking 20 pounds off. You know what I mean? So that's a a rant that I would go on. But when it comes to reverse dieting and lean bulking, I think it's a strategy that a lot of people don't consider, but it works so fucking well. I love, I've done this with so many people. Um, I have a guy right now, um, shout out to Hussein. He's been, it was almost to the point where I was like, why are you gaining so much weight, but you're staying so lean? So like what we did, it was really cool. What we did is he went through like a, he's going to probably correct me. And I'd, I'd have to look at the tracker at least six months, if not eight months of a cut. So really slow and steady, progressive cut, really maintaining performance, lifting like four days a week, upper, lower, just really, you know, simple, get the job done, lost a ton of weight. Then we stopped losing weight because it was getting to a point where like, although his biofeedback wasn't too bad, and this is a good tip for people to listen to. As a coach, I could tell we've just gotten to that point. It was like, we've gone too far. We've, the duration of your diet has been too long. Even if you're telling me you feel better, I think mentally you're so motivated and disciplined that it overcomes biofeedback being negative, mm. right? Hormones or cortisol or anything like that. Like you probably do have worse biofeedback than you realize, but you're such a positive and motivated person that it kind of trumps that. Yeah. So we pulled back, went to a maintenance phase and we shifted from a four day to a six day. And then we've been alternating between like a five and a six day. But basically what I did is as I started bringing his calories up, I went from four days a week, upper lower to a six day push pull legs. That was a huge increase in volume because I had six days a week to train instead of four days a week. Right. And we were doing like four days and one or two days of conditioning. And I went to six days with a higher step count. So we still kept some aerobic conditioning in there from steps per day, but from four days to six days was a huge shift in volume. We're able to do at least uh, four extra sets per muscle group. Like, I mean, it was a significant amount of volume added because we have a whole day to just, two whole days to just legs, two whole days to just pushing muscle, two whole days to just pulling, whereas before it was two days of legs and then two days for all upper body. So that's a big difference. And as I'm linearly increasing volume for his training, I'm increasing volume of calories. So like, if you think about it, during a reverse, especially the way I do it with cuts, I kept his fats the same because I didn't drive his fats so low that he was in a bad place. So his fats were fine. Protein was fine. I'm just reversing carbs up. And as I'm bringing his carbs up, I'm just increasing his volume slowly, going from four days a week to five days a week to six yeah. days a week, right? And then we got to a point where his, his carbs were getting pretty high and he was maintaining within a couple pounds, but he was getting leaner. So it was clear that you're, okay, you're building some muscle and maybe some water retention, but for people listening, if you're bringing calories up via carbs and you're increasing volume of training, carbs are being stored in the muscle because you're burning more muscle glycogen to train hard because you have higher volumes. Muscle glycogen is like a sponge, carbs, you know, and you're, you're eating carbs, drinking water, and it's all just storing in the, the cell. Um, 
And the muscle tissue is 60, 65% water. So it makes sense, right? Water storage. So it's not bad retention. And even if it's like, well, it's not real muscle, then it's just water. Yeah. But if your muscle is primarily water, fill it with more water and keep that water in there. Yeah. It's going to build new tissue. So it's exactly what you need to do. But we eventually shifted him to, uh, he was one of my betas for the, like the, yeah, the elite style tailored training that we've been doing. Um, and I basically like, we did all the measurements. We did some of the, the personality type testing. We did all these different things. And then I started just tweaking his training to be more specific for him, for him. And I actually went from six days to five days a week of training. And the reason I did that for people listening is because when you, when you assess somebody to in the client's who I've been working with on this, they know exactly what I'm talking about because I've done this with, shout out to Erica, I did it with hers too. She was doing six days, came to me, I put her on five days. But when you, you're doing a lot of volume, I know you can handle volume from a neurological perspective, but when we get so hyper-specific on the best exercises for you, you get more out of every single set and rep, which is just more taxing. And we don't need to do as much volume. So if I can bring you to five days and get more gains, now I can bring you back up to six days in six months to a year, and we keep that progression going instead of being like, oh, shit, we're getting to that advanced stage. We're not gotcha. going to build this much. But long story short, I mean, the dude is up like seven or eight pounds. And at, at, when you have a fat loss client who you take through a fat loss transformation and then you shift into reverse diet and start lean gaining and you start seeing the weight come up. And they're obviously he, he's like, I'm, I'm kind of like I feel like I'm supposed to be worried because I've always been worried about that. But I look better. I'm more confident. I'm training hard. I'm lifting heavier. Like I have some badass testimonials from him too uh, for the new page that we're doing. And I'm looking at it like, fuck, should I be worried? Like there's a lot of weight. And then I see progress pictures and I see the biofeedback and the results. I'm like, holy shit, dude. You're like crushing it. Yeah, you're gaining like you just started lifting. But that's what happens when you get extremely specific. So um, that's obviously taking this whole concept of lean bulking while reverse dying to another level. But even before we went that nitty gritty with the programming, I was doing that with him. And I've done that with people over the last few years of like, let's go through a cut. And I think one of the best ways to go through a cut is to only train four days a week. So for people listening who do the higher volume programs, when you go into a fat loss phase, you just need to maintain your muscle. So don't do a program that is super high volume. Do a program that is just enough, right? Like when I was doing the photo shoot prep, I, I was doing five days and then I shifted to four after a while because you can only recover from so much when you're in a deficit, yeah. right? So do what is required in order to maintain muscle tissue, which is very minimum. If you do less, so let's say four days a week, now I have better recovery and I can lift heavier loads so I can keep more of my strength because it's not just muscle we're trying to maintain during a fat loss phase. It's neurological components and strength as well. And so now I can more likely keep my strength because I'm recovering better. I don't have to be in the gym as often. And then this is the big kicker. By the and, and I have more time for cardio. But the big kicker is by the time I get to my result, I'm only training four days a week. Now I can start reverse dieting and I can easily go up to five or six days. And that increase in calories directly gets put to use and you will literally lean gain. I mean, it's, it's bound to happen because you're increasing carbs, you're increasing volume. It just, I mean, science, yeah. it just makes sense. Um, and this question came in and I thought about it. I was like, we actually really haven't gone in depth about that very often. And I don't know if anybody's really asked that, which is funny because it always seemed like an obvious thing to, for me to do in my coaching. And I've done it with so many people and they get amazing results. It's probably the best way to stay lean and gain, mm. right? Even in, in a reverse diet period, I probably would do that no matter what. Even if the person's like, I don't really want to build muscle. I'd probably try to increase volume or work capacity per session in some way just to put those carbs to use just to try to keep them lean, you know? I mean, it makes sense. And if your overall intake is there, your biofeedback is going to improve. Yeah. And a lot of people would say, well, if you're burning all the fuel that you take in, how is your biofeedback going to improve? Which is a, it's a 
viable argument. Um, number one, you're not going to burn all of it. You're just going to be able to burn more of it, which means that you can make bigger increases in your calories. And then number two, a big piece of your uh, psychological and physiological response to food is actually psychological. It's perception. And I think a lot of people don't realize how valuable like volume of food is because when you visually see more food, you literally, your like your chemistry will literally change. It's fucking weird. And they've done studies on fat loss stuff where it's like this shake is 400 calories or no, I'm sorry, this shake is 400, but they have a 600 calorie label and a 200 calorie label. And you watch hunger hormones change based on what people think they just consumed, which is just nuts to think about. Um, They have uh, cancer survival studies that show people of faith of any religion are more likely to survive cancer yeah. if they believe in some kind of God. And all that is is placebo. Yeah. Literally. They have the aerobic gene one um, where they tell people they don't have the gene, so they should suck at aerobic fitness, even though they do. And then all of a sudden, their running performance just starts to tank. So how you perceive things is very, very important. So if you're increasing volume of food while increasing calories... There's two ways to do this. Number one, if you're increasing calories, even though that is, let's say those calories are all going to use with activity, which is why some people are hyper responders to reverse diets. They eat more, they do more, which means they burn more. That equation doesn't pan out to poor biofeedback because they see more food. They feel like they're eating more food. They feel happier, more energetic. That plays a huge role in how their hormones respond, even though maybe the net calories doesn't change that much because as they eat more, they're just burning it, right? Um, And then the other side of it is, if you are dieting and you use uh, a diet strategy that allows more volume of food, you're going to feel like you're not dieting as much and that's going to help your adherence guaranteed. So point being is like, you can absolutely do that. I think it's a great strategy. I do it all the time. I have a lot of case studies where I could, I could break that down because I've done it with so many different types of people. Um, and then just a side tip, your perception fucking huge you know it's just it plays such a massive role in all of this stuff agreed yeah so there's another question today that i'm probably going to bring that up with too probably the next one the next one is uh let's just move on to the next one it's uh from julie x y u says after bulking should you drop into a deficit to start your cut immediately or is it better to slowly transition this wasn't the one oh okay but honestly I, i think i could probably tie in perception and placebo to anything um, so should you immediately go into a cut after a bulk? <clears throat> I think it depends on a few things. I, <clears throat> I think it almost always depends on the timeline, obviously, you know, how much time do we have to get to said result? Because the less time we have, the more likely it is that we got to jump right into a deficit, right? Um, because you have a timeline. Yeah. But I'm of the opinion that you shouldn't because, so there's two things here. Number one, let's say your maintenance, this is just easy math. Let's say your maintenance calories, and this is very, very, like, don't take these numbers seriously. 2,000 calories is your maintenance, 2,500 is the surplus you're in for a bulk, and 1,500 is your cut, just for easy math, 500s. I, like, instead of going, like, what that means is that if you're at 2,000, let's say you do a bulk at 2,500 calories, and you do build muscle and stuff, muscle is thermogenic. Um, so muscle burns more calories than fat. Basically it's a more taxing tissue on the body. And what that means is that if you take five pounds of fat and you take five pounds of muscle, the five pound to, to preserve the five pounds of muscle in your body, it is going to require more calories. However, we have to also remember that a lot of the calories that are required to maintain that tissue 
is protein. Yeah. We also know that protein is probably not going to store as fat. So some of it kind of just gets, should be just disregarded. The other side of it is it's not that taxing, right? So people used to always say like, well, if you build more muscle, you're going to be able to have a way higher maintenance caloric intake. No, you're not. You're going to have a very slightly larger, like it's just really, I wish, because I used to believe that, I wish it was better than it was, but science has come out on this and it's just kind of depressing how small it is. Otherwise it would be way more favorable for people to try to build muscle, which I wish was the case, but it's just not. The other side of it is that you don't build that much muscle. So if you're a natural lifter, um, if you're a female, especially, but either way, let's say you go on a bulk for six, eight, 12 months. I mean, how much muscle are you really going to build? You know, if it, if, Every pound of muscle just burns a little bit extra calories and a good bulk, you gain five pounds. Let's say you gain 10 pounds, but 25% of that is, is fat, seven pounds. Like it's just not that much. So you're not going to gain that much. So if you started at 2000 as maintenance and then you bulked at 2,500, I mean, let's say your new maintenance is 2,100. Yeah. Not really that big of a deal, which means that your new deficit is not 1,500, it's 1,600. Right. And the reason I'm painting this picture is because when I get done with this bulk, I have two options. Go to 2100 or go right to 1600, right? And I don't think you should go to 1900, which would be a 200 calorie deficit, assuming 2100 is your new deficit or new maintenance, because that's within your maintenance range. And we've talked about this many times. Maintenance is not a tar- like a dead set target. It is a moving target, which means if you drop to 1900, you are in a deficit, but it's not going to do much for fat loss. And you're probably just going to get frustrated and be hungry. And now you're spending weeks dieting and getting diet fatigue without any dieting success. So you're much better off spending less time jumping right to 1600, getting the job done, eat enough protein, strength training, you won't lose any muscle. You'll be fine. Because of this, I'm of the opinion that you should go to maintenance first. So I would first go to 2100 in that situation for two reasons. One is very science-based and literal. One is completely hypothetical. So the first one is because you're going to lose water weight at first. So let's say you did go to that 1900 and you lost three, four pounds. You're going to be like, oh, this is working. No, it's not. You lost water because you ate less carbs. That's just, that's just what happens. You have less food volume. You have less water retention. Um, and this is why people go on detoxes or they start a low-carb diet and they get really excited at first because they lost five pounds. You lost five pounds of water and then nothing else happened at all. <laughs> like it's just not, it's not a real like result that you're getting. So go to maintenance, lose the little bit of water weight so you can find your true maintenance. So now you spend a few weeks there. Maybe it's just two weeks, maybe it's four weeks, but either way you go to maintenance, you kind of let your body recalibrate, right? You're getting used to a lower intake than you were before, which is enough to perform in the gym, but not as much as you were used to because you were in a surplus. You're kind of just leveling things out. You're getting used to performance in the gym. You lose a few pounds of water weight to make sure you have an actual starting weight to lose from. Um, and now all your baseline metrics are way more accurate and you can go off of that. Then you create a deficit, right? Now we go to 1600 to just get the job done and start the weight loss process. And it can be successful right from the go. And you know, it's actual fat being lost, not water, so on and so forth. Um, makes the most sense to me. The other thing, which is very theoretical is that I like to think that your body solidifies fat loss and muscle gain by like finding that stabilization stage. There's no research to prove this at all. Um, just like my understanding of the body and my experience, I like to believe that if somebody was gaining, like if you're in a surplus for six months trying to build muscle, you're, you're constantly trying to change your body's homeostasis, right? So that's not easy, especially muscle growth. It's, it's difficult and your body doesn't want to change. It's an unfavorable situation. In fact, if you build more muscle than you need to survive, you're actually slowing yourself down in survival, 
you're adding weight to yourself. Yeah. A lot of times, like if I build my biceps really big, I might have like less range of motion in my elbow. I might have more elbow pain. So if I'm a caveman trying to survive, I want the amount of muscle muscle I need to be strong and resilient, but not so much that it slows me the fuck down, right? And makes me a good prey for a saber-toothed tiger. <laughs> so your body wants homeostasis, right? And if we're trying to change homeostasis, it only makes sense to me that between phases of changing homeostasis, you should try to solidify homeostasis. And so I would go from a surplus to my maintenance, lose the water weight, stay there for a little while, and let your body like basically reset its its body muscle set point. There's no theory around that. There's a body fat set point. But like let it get used to sitting there for a little bit. One, that's a good recovery stage from pushing in a gym, change your training to a four-day from a six-day, whatever the volume drop, all the stuff you got to do. But also we might just kind of solidify that new tissue. Then we go into a fat loss phase. Same reason why like sometimes I'll finish somebody's fat loss phase and I'm like, hey, let's hang out here for a couple weeks and then reverse because I want you to get used to your new body weight, right? If you're going from 170, let's say, and every week you lose one pound because we're chasing 160, you finally hit 160 and then we immediately start reverse dieting. Now we're telling it to change again, but in the reversed, yeah. why not get to 160? Like, let's stay there, even if it's just bumping calories up a little bit or it's taking a diet break and then coming back, taking a diet break, coming back, but stay there. And then once we're like, okay, I think your body's starting to recalibrate at this new set point. Let's slowly work calories back up. I, I find that to be pretty useful for people as long as they're not deep in a deficit and they need to reverse because they're biofeedback shit. But it just makes sense to me. Like your body doesn't want to change. So if we're trying to constantly change it, why would you go from pushing the calories, trying to build, 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 change it in the positive sense, the up sense, and then immediately go, okay, cut, drop calories, reverse that, lose weight. Like we've been telling it to gain weight. So completely just anecdotal, just theory that my mind kind of yeah. came up with. Makes but sense. Makes sense. Yeah. So. All right, great. Uh, let's move on to the next one. It says it is from... Oh, Lord. Legimen Life Fitness. Legimen Life Fitness, something like that. Um, what type of work would you be doing if not in health and fitness? I have two answers for that. One is nothing. I don't know what the fuck I would do. Great answer. <laughs> because got into this with no plan B, which I think is the best way to approach success in life. If you got a plan B, you're thinking about other shit. Honestly, like, yeah. I mean, imagine, imagine if you were getting married and you were like, Everyone I love you, but you know what? If you don't work out, there's probably somebody out there for me. Or like, I think I, like, there's somebody else I was thinking about too, just in case, like, hopefully Shannon doesn't listen to this. <laughs> no, like, I would not, like, that's just not like, and speaking of which, I've had many conversations with Shannon where it's like, it's never, it's never anything but like, we're, if we're going through a, a, a situation or a trouble or struggle, it's always just like. Well, what do we do to move forward? Like, yeah. how do we get through this? Because there's no other option. Yeah. Like, it's just it's me and you for life. You know, that's what it is. That's what the ring symbolizes. I think that's kind of how you have to be with everything. So part of me just never had a plan B. So I, I wasn't like, if this doesn't work out, I'll get a job here. I'll do this. Um, I just think that's a recipe for failure. But if I wasn't, my guess would be clothing, which is I'm getting into yeah. as like a side hobby which will turn into something you know and like like no matter what like and this isn't like again th this isn't the success mindset to have to be honest with you but my mind goes like no matter what this is my baby like tailored coaching method is is my thing tailored life apparel is a passion project that i am approaching with a partner and a big piece of that 
is going to fuel back into other things we do with charity, with donating, with um, supplying the members of Tailored Coaching Method with apparel, you know? So we feed off of that. Um, I do believe it's going to grow into its own entity and, and be massive, but Tailored Coaching Method has always been my one thing and fitness has always been one thing. So there's never really been a what if. It's more of like what else within this or fitness can I do? Yeah. You know, now that I've got some help with the team and delegating, like, how can I build this? How can I grow? I think it's just so unrealistic for you to think of an answer because it never was thought about. hundred mm-hmm. percent. The only other thing I ever wanted to do, which came before fitness was clothing. Yeah. Like, and that was when, but like what are you going to work at zoomies? Like, what, so the, what? Pl- the plan actually back then was to go to see our art institute. Mm-hmm. Cause I just, which I didn't look into enough for two reasons. One, I just, that was my assumption. I was like, well, if I want to be a, a designer and oh. start a clothing brand, I think that's where I would go. You know, I just didn't know any better. It's so much easier to build a company and create a career without going to school now. Because even, even then, I mean, I don't know how many years ago that was. It wasn't that long ago. What, six years ago? I was 17. So yeah, six years ago, almost. It's almost two to 2023. So, um, five years ago, almost six. But like, if you think about, oh wait, no, I graduated in 2010. What am I thinking? Jesus. 12, 13 years. Yeah, no shit. There you go. That makes way more sense. I was like, (laughs) I'm lying. I'm 23 years old, guys. (laughs) No, uh, the the thing I was going to say is like, even back then, it was like, I couldn't just YouTube how to create a, like how to use Adobe Photoshop and Illustrator to create logos in a fashion company. You can Google that now and buy a course for 20 bucks and learn a lot. Yep. I've done it. And I've literally learned enough on those programs. Still not nearly as much as you do, but like enough to create mock Something. shirts yeah. and designs and shit like that. Um, so back then it was like, I got to go to school for this. So I was like, I'm gonna go to the art Institute. And then when I told my parents that it was like, okay, well go knock out your, uh, what is it called? Like you have your prerequisites prerequisites. Yeah. Um, you did horrible in high school. So go to Highland community college and do math, do science, do that shit. Cause we're not going to pay for the art Institute get a loan for that and yeah. you don't want to get a loan for that for that kind of stuff and I was like okay went there fell in love with fitness scrapped the clothing thing just went all in but yeah. like originally like my thought was I would literally go to the art institute start a clothing brand I was gonna I wanted to start a boutique store like do you remember equipped nope by south center it was uh, across the street they sold like uh like underground street brands like supreme I mean, there's some, and yeah there's some and castles and like they had a, like a whole like if they would unlock you go and there's the jordans and everything like um Actually, crazy story. I went there before the Wiz concert to get a new outfit to go to the Wiz concert. And these dudes came out from the back, just got done smoking weed with Wiz Khalifa because Wiz Khalifa went there because they were selling uh, like early, early TGOD stuff, Taylor Gang or Die apparel. And we literally missed them by like 30 minutes. Uh. And I was like, whoa, are you kidding me? (laughs) Wiz Khalifa was just in here? Yeah. Um, Because he was playing at the Showbox. And this is like, I mean... 10 years I don't ago. Need, I think Cushion Orange Juice just came out. So way, way back. Paid 20 bucks to get in. <laughs> but um, start a store like that. Start selling apparel and create my own brand. And then I just got into fitness. I tried to create a brand, me, Theo, and Quasi. Um, it just didn't work. We had different visions. Quasi had a full-time job. Me and Theo were still trying to pay the bills as trainers. It just, we were too young, naive, didn't know how to do it. Um, and now Terry Left Apparel is going to be our, the way to be able to do it again. Yep which I literally just told you I got a phone with customs right now, like with a big shipment coming in and um, making sure it gets to the right place at the right time. And it's coming. 
we just did that photo shoot last weekend, which was dope. <clears throat> I want to post some of that stuff so bad, but um, obviously I'm waiting. So we're going to launch the Instagram for it soon. But that's that's what that is. So, yeah. I mean, what would you be doing if you weren't doing this? Obviously, you were. Yeah, IT. Yeah. But is that what you technically went to school for? Yeah. What I mean, Network, I, networking. Okay, I was going to say that. Yeah, like. IT is like a category. Yeah, pretty much just like designing networks, IPs, different infrastructures. Yeah. So could you hack? No. Oh. That's not what networking is. <laughs> but anyway, all right, let's. I mean, I think of IP address, I'm like, can you hack people's shit? Well, yeah. I mean, hacking is, has tears to it, man. Yeah, I could yeah. find people's like Wi Fi passwords, but that's not like hacking into their, you know. Yeah, that's hacking to me. It is, but it's a very low tier. I can barely figure out my own. Damn you can Wi-Fi. Google that. You can learn how to do that. It's, oh, shit. Yeah. yeah but, that's not good. All right. Anyway, let's move on. We got one coming from Marty Marr underscore HF. Marty Moore. It's uh shout out to Mark. He's been asking questions since we were in the garage. Let's go. Yeah, dude. Mind versus muscle. Shout out to Marty <laughs> Mar. All right. He said, what's tired feel like to you? <clears throat> That's another good personality question. Um, he always had really good personality questions. That's what I remember him for. So thank you, Marty. Um, tired for me. Um, I guess, I guess it, it could be a two part question. It says like, What's tired feel like to you or when was the last time you doubted yourself? Yeah, I think that's two different things for sure because I can think of two different answers to that. Because like tired for me is like I'm the type that runs on cortisol. So like when my body's tired, I don't I, I don't listen, you know, uh, which is not good. It's not a healthy thing. But this is going to sound extreme. But like for me, it's like. I, I like I ride the stress adrenaline cortisol wave when I'm tired and I, I'll just keep pushing and then I crash hard, you know, and it's usually like then rejuvenate. Yeah, because then I'm like, I have to like rest. Yeah. Take a couple of days off, chill. Like, you know, like it's just a lot. But typically it's it's more of like a it's like a it's like it's more of a mental thing where like I almost get fucking depressed. Like it's like my mood changes, my, usually feeds doubt, but like motivation drops. Like, it's just like, it's almost like I'm bipolar. It's just like a huge shift. And I know what it's from every time. It's like, I'm just burning the candle at both ends. And then it's like, Oh, there's no more fucking candle wax. You know, you're just done. Um, and I just crash hard. Uh, I'm better about it now. It used to be worse. And I would say like, there's times where it's bad. Cause even like, man, uh, at the end of last week, dude, I was, just toasted but more on like a positive note like I remember like literally sitting down Saturday and being so exhausted but like fulfilled because it was like a really really productive week yeah and like last week I went hard on a lot of different things yep. um this week similarly because I've, I've had so many meetings for different things that we're working on but those weeks are good because it's just like I, if I can recognize like it's this is good I will sleep a little extra. I purposely didn't come to the gym Saturday morning. Like usually I do. Usually I'll get here Saturday morning, um, lift, do the client gifts, all that stuff. And I was like, I'm sleeping in. Like I know my body needs it. And thank God I did. But that's a positive one. Yeah. It's a different kind of stress Mm -hmm. depending on how the week goes, I guess. Yeah. So before that, um, and this is full transparency, we, this is growing pains, right? We, we ran into some internal issues as a company and the bigger your boat gets, the the more likely there is to be holes in that boat. So for business owners listening, like if you have a little canoe 
as soon as you get a leak, you can patch that shit up like this, right? Yeah. It's really easy. You can see it. You can see the whole boat. But when you got a fucking cruise ship or a yacht, a leak takes a while for it to be noticed, yeah. right? You got to see flooding before you see something. So um, really weird analogy, but like when you're growing a business, there's times where little things can trickle into bigger things and you just, it goes unnoticed because um, this is weird to talk about, but when there's a lot more money coming in, it's hard to notice that there's potentially a leak or that, that we have an issue internally or anything like that. Um, and for us, it's system related and usually that's what it is. It's been fixed now, but when you have an issue like that and then you catch it too late, that's, that was like the big stress thing for me because it's like, we have an issue. I don't exactly know what it is. Don't exactly know what caused it. I don't know how to fix it. Don't know when it, uh, originally happened. Yeah. So like as an entrepreneur, I mean, anybody really, but like, when you have an issue and you can't fix the issue, right? That's like, I hear people talk about like clinical anxiety or clinical depression. It's like the worst thing. It's like, I don't know why I'm sad. I don't know why I'm anxious. I don't know why I feel this way, but I feel this way and Anger. I can't stop it. It's like quicksand, you yeah. know, like you're like, I can't stop it, but it's just slowly taking me away. That's kind of how it is in, it sucks. Like that, I had a big wall that I hit and I was just like, I mean, I'm just in a bad mood. I'm not motivated. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to get on my story. I don't want to fake a smile. Like I just, you know, for me, it doesn't last very long because I snap out of it quick, thankfully. And then it's like a complete 360. It's like now I'm stressed because I'm not sleeping enough and I'm going so fucking hard, but all these wins keep happening and I'm yeah. fixing shit and we're growing and I'm making connections and I'm networking and, um, which is what happened. Yep. And it was cool. Cause like, I mean, it was a good thing to show the team. It was too. a collective like, thing though. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. And like, look how much we can get done in one week. And I showed what I did in a week. And then the next week the team showed me everything they could do in a week, which was really cool. So, um, it's twofold for me though. It's like, it, I always ride it and then I crash hard. Yeah. And then the last time I doubted myself, it's a good question. I mean, I would say like, I guess that situation a little bit, but I think self-doubt never really goes away completely. I think you just get better at um, like kind of pushing it to the side. So for me now, I think everybody experiences self-doubt on a regular basis, right? So like I experience it all the time and there's always self-doubt that creeps in about, I mean, think about it, like, can I lift this heavy weight? Can I, can I execute on this sales call? Can I make this connection with this leader of this community that we're trying to, to build a relationship with. Can I, like everything is always, can I do it? And you always have a little doubt that creeps in. I think you get better at this and I've gotten really good at this of like kind of uh, replaying your, your like track record of success. And that just provides you confidence and self-belief. And when you have self-belief, self-doubt doesn't exist. Yep. So I go into those things, just reminding myself of all the wins and that creates self-belief, which eliminates self-doubt. And then I have confidence and then I execute and that just proves me right again that I can do it. And then it's a cycle. So yeah, there's self-doubt and I think it happens to everybody and it happens all the time, but, um, I'm just, I can easily brush it off now, you know? Totally. So I don't know. I don't know the last time it was actually like crippling. Love it. Cool. All right. We will move on to the next one. It's from ZBish1. Says, what's one lifestyle habit that you absolutely know you need to improve but are struggling with? Sleeping in on Saturday. Sleep. Sleep for sure. Um, it's so I think that 
I don't know. It's it's like because because I track my sleep and I definitely don't get enough deep sleep, but I lay in bed for an adequate amount of time and I feel rested and I don't know. It, it's hard to say, but I would say sleep for sure. But I also am stubborn enough to not fix it. I mean, that's only like lifestyle. I just don't want to sacrifice time being awake. It sounds so stupid, but so entrepreneurial. It is. It's very. <laughs> I, I try to avoid saying that too much. I don't want to be like Gary V ish, you know. And I respect. Try to Gary avoid v. saying what? Like, I don't know, sleep is for the week, or oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll sleep when I'm dead. But like to an extent, I do believe that. Like I, I think there's enough research to like support. You know, like I look at it two ways. Like. I get between five to six hours of sleep each night and I might be in bed for six to seven. It's not enough without a doubt. Most research supports seven to eight hours or seven to nine hours really um, for positive everything, testosterone, muscle growth, fat loss, probably like the neurological side of stuff as well, obviously. Um, And I look at that and I'm like, I could be better off in many cases if I did that. And then I also look at it like, I get a lot, like, I don't drag ass in the morning. Like, I wake up and I start working and I actually like, get shit done. And I'm not super tired at night. And I want to stay up a little bit with my wife because I don't expect her to go to bed super early. And that's our only time without our daughter that we can have alone time with. And if I sleep in, I'd probably have to work later than I do. And then I wouldn't get as much time. Like, so, like, all those things, I'm like, well, that's worth more to me than building a little bit more muscle. Totally. So, until I see a study that says I'm going to die from some crazy disease because I only get six hours of sleep, you know, and again, it's sometimes five and a half, but I usually sleep like seven or eight hours on the weekend. So I do catch up a little bit. I don't get enough and it would help. But at the end of the day, I just don't care enough to sacrifice my time awake. Love it. But everything else in my life, so I'm pretty, I'm pretty good habits. I'm a healthy guy. Cool. All right. We will move on to, we got you. Uh, man. I mean, I don't want to. Say, I don't want to say sleep. That's a great question. It is. Um, I don't know, man. I would say morning routine, but I've changed that a lot. Yeah. Um, been training lately. Rehabbing. So yeah. So, I mean, but that's check yeah. that box off. Sleep's like the logical Dude, one I know. that I think of. But yeah, I would say my night routine. I stay up way too late. Like I, I do, I do get probably six to seven hours, but like. I've noticed when I don't like sit there and watch my iPad or something, I do sleep and feel better in the morning. Mm-hmm. That's a great question, dude. Reading a a hard copy book is the best. You get tired super quick. Yeah, you. I stay can read awake, a super interesting stay awake book watching something. You, oh yeah. like your brain tires down. Yeah, reading. those blue lights keep you up. Like yeah. you read a hard copy book. It's going to take you forever to finish that book. Yeah. Because I start reading, I'm like really excited to read. I'm awake. I read two pages. I'm fall asleep with the book in my hand. Totally. But. Yeah, I don't. I don't have a nighttime routine, so that's a good one. Yeah, I just watch Netflix, <laughs> watch Seinfeld. Okay, cool. We will go to. We got one more here. We got from Bo Workouts. It says, "What's the best way to plan and periodize for compound lifts versus accessory exercises, specifically for hi- for hypertrophy?" Um. So when it comes to hypertrophy, there's two things here. Number one, I don't think. I think there's layers to this. I don't, I don't believe there's a best method for periodization for hypertrophy because I think that most research shows that it doesn't matter. But I do think there's ideal methods. I can't say the best because there's no research to say that this is the best. But in my experience, I think 
what has worked the best. Um, methods for progressions, like a progression plan um, week to week, right? And programming. So I think for hypertrophy specifically, you should be focusing on programming versus periodization. And within programming and planning that programming on a long-term basis, you should be focusing on the progression week to week. Um, now, some would argue that is periodization and to an extent it is. However, if you look at like the actual definition of periodization literature, it's typically like a long-term formal organized progression plan. But if we're looking at a progression plan within a program design, that's like a week to week thing. Yeah. It just doesn't extend beyond a month. So it's, it, you can't do that. Um, but here's how I would lay it out. So like if I were to tell somebody, here's how we're, we are going to periodize, I would say we are going to have a three to one ratio of hypertrophy to strength. Um, and the way we do this is going to be based on your preferences. Um, and that's basically going to be or your experience level, but regardless, it's either A, we're bleeding some strength into your, your days while doing mainly periodization. So 25% of the volume you do every single week is going to be strength-based. So lower reps, building strength, uh, training uh, to recruit more motor units, faster fibers, so on and so forth. And then the rest of it is going to be bodybuilding. It's going to be high volume strength training for, for building muscle. The other way to do it, which some people like, and it's better for some people if they're really experienced, is to do 100% of your volume towards bodybuilding. And then every three blocks, you throw in a strength block to resensitize your body to the, the higher volume. So you would go three months in a row of doing high volume bodybuilding work, one month of low volume, uh, less days per week in the gym as well, strength training work to build strength, have a more neurologically demanding block and resensitize your body to the hypertrophy work. And there is research to show when you jump back to the hypertrophy work, you're going to have a greater sensitivity to the higher volume training. And you're probably going to start building muscle again faster. Yeah. So it's kind of a way to uh, train, 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 take a break, train, 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 take a break. It's like a deload, but you're not truly deloading. That's how I would periodize it. From a progression within program design for hypertrophy, really, really simple. I would progress the compound lifts in a linear fashion um, by dropping reps two, and I would cycle them every three to four weeks. So a lot of people, I prefer a three-week block, but there are some clients that I tend to have a four-week block. Um, and it's basically, no matter what, I don't typically like going over four weeks, even though there's scientific reasons you could justify doing so. I think most people get bored after four weeks of the same exercises, so I like to change them out. Um, but regardless, we're going to progress for three to four weeks. Um, if you're more advanced, probably three weeks. If you're more towards the beginner stages, four weeks, or even longer, if you really need to work on the same movements to, to get, build the skill of the movement patterns. Um, but we would drop reps by two, increase intensity or weight as we go, which is just a classic linear approach. So if it's a three-week block, maybe it's seven, five, three. If it's a four-week block, maybe it's nine, seven, five, three, right? We're hypertrophy focused and it's gym pop. We don't need to go uh, two one rep maxes. There's just no point in my opinion. Three's plenty. You're still going to get sub max effort, which builds just as much, if not more strength than maximal effort training. Um, but we go nine, nine, seven, five, three. So the reps are declining. The, the weight you're lifting is inclining because you're doing less reps. Then after the final week, whether that is on week three or four, you go back to either seven or nine, depending if it's a three or four block. Um, and now you're going to be able to lift heavier loads for seven or nine, because you've already gone through a full cycle of building muscle in a linear progression. Totally. Really, really simple progression scheme. It's stood the test of time. It's the most basic one, but it just fucking works. And it's easy to track. For accessory and isolation work, I like doing a double progression method. So we're doing a dumbbell bench press with a tempo, whatever it may be in that, that block, but it's a three sets of eight to 10 reps. So you pick a weight that is challenging and it matches the RIR for three sets of eight. So let's say it's an RIR one. You got to leave one rep in the tank. You do three sets of eight at 
80 pounds. Cool. Week two, you're trying to get three sets of nine with 80 pounds. Maybe you get 10, nine, eight, maybe you get nine, 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 maybe you get nine, nine, eight, whatever it is. No matter what, if you just increase the reps a little bit across those three sets, you're good, right? Then the next week you try to do it again. Technically the way a double progression works is you would keep doing that until you get three sets of 10 with eight, um, with the 80 pound dumbbells. But because I want to change the exercise to stimulate their mind and not getting bored, I'm going to change it no matter what, if they do that. So we might go three sets of eight and then it's, you know, eight, nine, nine, and then it's 10, nine, 10 or 10, nine, nine. Cool. You progressed. We're going to move on to a dumbbell alternating floor press or something else, right? Machine chest press, whatever it is and do it again. For curls, it might be 12 to 15. For something else, it might be 15 to 20. But we have these rep ranges, and we're just trying to add volume as the weeks go on, keeping the RIR the same every single week, right? And the load the same because of that. But if you do it every week, most likely, you'll be able to squeeze out more reps with the same load and the same RIR, reps in reserve. From the double progression method. Yep. Yep. Super simple on both of those. But if you do that for the compounds, that for the accessory, I think it just works perfect. Love it. So There you go, Bo. Great answer. So, um, again, sponsors. Yes. Uh, giantlifting.com. You can use TCM10. You can save 10%. Uh, just so you guys know, there is a Halloween sale going on. Uh, if you go check out giantlifting.com and you, you get in the sale and you can still use our 10%. So, take advantage of that because you're going to get um, some great gear and you're going to get a double discount, literally. And I, I verified this. So go take advantage of that. Uh, firstform.com slash tailored coaching method. Uh, I'm excited to try. I just ordered the uh, pumpkin. pumpkin. Yeah. I'm fucking excited for that. <laughs> um, pumpkin spice level one protein. It is a limited. So it's like a seasonal thing. People are obsessed with it. So I got to try it. So I just got a tub of it. Um, go check them out. Again, firstform.com slash tailored coaching method. And last but not least, our coaching, tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash online dash coaching. We appreciate you guys listening. And we'll catch you next time. 